prepped for something or like trained for something or had this thing you were going to do and you're like super psyched about it and then you are getting ready, you're getting ready and then you wake up the morning it's going to happen and you wake up and you're like, oh God, like what have I gotten myself into? Has that happened before? Like it's happened numerous times to me. Um, it's happened on the river, like working rafting trips and stuff and uh, it totally happened this morning. Like, I woke up and I was like, oh, dear God. Why do I talk? Like, why do I tell Scott these things? Like, I'm willing to go and talk to you guys. Um, because I just had this, like, overwhelming sense of inadequacy and fear. And all these emotions kind of flood in, right? And um, I'm, I'm kind of glad it happened because it made me stop and kind of center myself and pray and talk to God a little bit. And it's, it's exactly what I wanted to talk to you guys about. Anyway, which is like perfect, because you know I had this idea like, wow, I should just have, feel like I have this message on, you know, identity and and what our identity is, right? And so I'm going to stand up here and tell you who you are and who you think you are, and then I'm going to tell you that it's all just a bunch of illusion is the word I'll use. Okay, so this is why I woke up this morning like, what are you, what are you doing? Uh, so here we go. Um, you go the first the first slide there. Uh, this is the list. Just I just came up with this list. These are everything that I could think of that anybody's ever called me. Okay, so these aren't things that I've necessarily thought about myself per se, because that list could be super long. But these are just things that people have actually called me that they said that I, you are this. So I'll just kind of go through them real quick. Son, brother, athlete, boyfriend, best friend, drinker. Dropout, user, drifter, underachiever, wanderer, river guide, climber, instructor, leader, husband, enabler, adventurer, the next one I use very loosely, carpenter, uh, tree hugger, through hiker, writer, photographer, speaker, inspirer, dreamer, runner, hippie, granola. Had a kid call me a granola last week at school. Uh, teacher, mentor, and father. Okay? So just quickly, in my 33 and a bit years, those are the things I've been told, you are this. Right? Some of them are great. Like, man, father, the last one, that's like my latest one. It's like, wow. I'm going to own this one. Like, I'm a dad. This is sweet. Right? And so, and then some of them are not so good. User, drinker, drop out, carpenter, some of these things are just not positive connotations, right? So, um, the crazy thing is that when we read through this list, every single one of these identities that I could hold on to are total crock, absolute illusion, every single one of them, even down to the fact that I'm a father, okay, and I'll, I'll, I'll get to why. Um, but the main reason these are illusions is because they totally miss the point of what defines us, right? We are defined by God's love. This is a great quote by a guy named John Egan. Define yourself radically as one beloved by God because this is your true self. And every other identity is an illusion, right? And so it doesn't say every other negative identity is illusion. It says every other identity is illusion. Negative, positive, 
whether you gave it to yourself, whether somebody else gave it to you, it's not for real. Okay? Now, there's this whole idea of, of permanence, right? Like things lasting. And there's, in my life, there's always, there's two things that make me come back to this idea of permanence and make me think about, man, what, what really matters, what lasts, right? And so those two things are, are death and life, okay? So in experiencing new life, uh, should be three months on Tuesday, which is pretty sweet. Uh, in experiencing this new life, it's kind of got me thinking about permanence again, right? So what is, what is permanent? What, what matters? What lasts? Okay? Um, I got this great quote from uh, this artist, Ani DeFranco. She's a, like a folk singer, artist. Um, it says, a, ta- a tattoo is only as permanent as I am. And it's like one of my favorite quotes because I have a lot of tattoos, right? And that's a quote that my in-laws hate to hear because that just gives me more reason to get more tattoos. Just joking. They love me and my beard and my tattoos. Um, but we think about something like a tattoo being like, oh, man, that's like going there. So you can get a tattoo like on your back, safe, right? Hardly anybody's ever going to see it. You can get one up on your arm, like that's a little bit more bold. But you can just wear long sleeves or a sleeve down here. But there was always this idea of like, once I go below the elbow, it is game on. So like, easy. Like once you go below the elbow, you, elbow, you are committed to not achieving anything, not getting a real job, nobody ever taking you seriously. So the day I went below the elbow was like a big day. It's like, okay, I'm really signing up for this. But tattoos, they're only as permanent as we are, right? And so all these identities, that list that was up there, um, it's not that those have no value or are pointless or meaningless, because they, they do have a lot of value. They can have a lot of value. But the, the, the kind of fine line is that those are not us, right? And so I'll, I'll kind of get, at the end, I'll kind of get to why I feel like they have value. Um, but those, those things are not us. Okay? Because we are simply and purely people who are defined by God's love. Right? Um, so there's two, um, there's two main illusions concerning our identity, in, in my opinion, anyway. Um, there's lies and there's comparison. Right? And so Bob Attaway spoke a couple weeks ago. It was really good. He had like a life cereal box. I don't know if you guys were here for that. He talked about the different ways you can spell life, which I thought was pretty cool. So you can spell it I-F. Just if, so if this happens, if that happens. Um, and you can spell it lie, which I really liked. Um, because we tend to believe a lot of lies, right? We believe a lot of lies about ourselves, about our um, surroundings, about the people around us, about our world. We, we just believe lies. So uh, I'll tell you all kind of a, a funny lie that I believed up until I was like 25 or so. Uh, we were living in West Virginia, and West Virginia is like super green and super lush, right? So if you want to grow a garden, like this is the place to do it, because even if you're terrible at growing a garden, if you do it in West Virginia, you are awesome at it, right? So we're going to grow this garden, and Laura and I are talking about what we want to grow, and I love pickles, right? Like I love pickles. And so she's like, what do you want to grow? And I'm like, let's grow some pickles. <laughs> like we should totally grow some pickles because... I would eat pickles for days. And she kind of looked at me with this, like, 
face like like you're joking right like no seriously like we should definitely grow some pickles like I love pickles and then she proceeded to explain to me that you cannot grow pickles right you can grow cucumbers and then make them into pickles and I felt super smart because I was 25 years old believing that you could grow a pickle plant and just take them off of there bam things are good right so I believed this lie for 25 years, and not that it was a huge, you know, big deal, but anytime you believe a lie, when you are believing it and in it, like, it is legit, right? Like, I want to grow a pickle on this plant. And as soon as I'm told this is an illusion, like, it's not for real, it can't really happen, you feel really dumb. Like, I cannot believe I spent a quarter of a century thinking you could grow pickles on a plant, right? So... There's plenty of people who believe lies about themselves, especially in the Gospels, right? We're told about um, the Pharisees, right? So they believe lies about themselves. Some of the Pharisees pray out loud and they think they're so much better than everybody, right? So they believe these lies. There's um, the story of the prodigal son, which is like one of my favorite stories in the Bible. So you've got, you've got two people believing lies there. You've got the son who's like totally messed everything up. And so he believes that he is undeserving of his father's love, right? And then you've got the other brother who believes this lie that he is so good that he's entitled to his father's love, right? So you've got two lies, both equally as, um, as equally as wrong, right? Equally as missing the point. And so it's interesting because both the bad, our badness, right, and our goodness can uh, formulate these lies about ourselves, right? We can believe things that are really good about ourselves, and that can go off the deep end. We can believe things that are really bad about ourselves, and that can go off the deep end. Uh, Go ahead, I think, go to the next slide. Yeah, so here we go. Both our badness and our goodness can become lies that we embrace and illusions that we identify with, okay? Um, So let's talk about badness and goodness, right? So badness being being brokenness. Brokenness is an interesting thing because you hate feeling broken, or at least I do. Like when you've really messed up, it's like this terrible, terrible feeling, right? You've let somebody down, you've done whatever it is, and so you've, you're so broken, and yet that feeling of brokenness, we hate it, yet we, we tend to hold on to those feelings more than anything else, Right? I will, I will drag this mistake I've made with me through the mud for years and years and years. Right? And I will let it then come to define me. Because right? I just tell myself over and over again, I've mess, I'm going to mess this up again. I've messed it up before. I'll mess it up again. I let this person down before. I'm probably going to do it again. Right? That's just what I do. That's just how I'm made. This is who I am. So there it is. Right? <clears throat> I work with... Uh, I'm a, I'm a high school teacher now, and I work with a lot of kids who are really broken, right? And it's amazing to me the stuff that they believe about themselves, right? So these are, these are girls who have been prostitutes, right? They've worked on the streets and tried to make money for themselves or for their siblings. And that's the best way they can figure out how to do it, okay? So when you're 15 years old and you've been a prostitute for three or four years already, you're going to think certain things about yourself, Right? Um, I've got guys who have been gang members, 
right? Or they've just had a rough go at it. And so they feel their only value comes with, with brute force, right? The loudest voice wins, strongest arm wins, and that's how you deal with everything. Right? If you have an issue with somebody or anything happens, deal with it with force, right? And so you're going to believe things about yourself if that's how you've kind of lived your life, right? And so you've got this, this badness, these things that we can hold on to. And then on the other side, you've got goodness. So things that I can hold on to that are, that are good about myself, right? So people say, you're good at this or you're good at that, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. But uh, the fact that we all long to be good at something tends to tempt us to really grasp on to the good things, right? So, example of that, growing up, I was, like, extremely athletic, okay? And I'm not saying this stuff to, like, toot my own horn, but just to kind of put it in perspective, I was athletic, um, and I played basketball, and I was really good at basketball. Um, I could jump and touch my elbow. We would have these contests after school, and the highest I got, I could jump and touch the backside of my elbow on the rim of the basket, right? So, like, I would get in these dunk contests, and it was awesome because, of course, I'm the only white guy in there. I'm not that tall, and I get in these dunk contests and just destroy people. I mean, just utterly humiliate people, right? And it was so fun because you're like, yeah, I'm good. Like, this is what I'm good at. Like, I have this. Nobody's going to take this from me, right? As long as I keep working hard, I keep training, I'm going to be this, right? Everybody wants that. Everybody wants something that they're good at, Right? And so, you know, sometime around my uh, senior year in high school to freshman year in college, and I got a full scholarship to play in college, which was awesome. That was my dream. And so sometime in there, I, you know, not like a specific time, but something in my brain shifted to where basketball was not something that I did. Basketball was me. Like, this is what I do. This is me. This is what I have to offer the world. And this is my identity, right? That's where it gets kind of scary. Because that list of things we put on the board earlier, none of those last. Not a one. Not me being an athlete. Not me being a husband. Not me being a father, right? I could lose my little girl tomorrow. There's nothing I can do about that. None of these things that we identify with last. The only identity that we have that actually lasts is that God loves us, right? Unconditionally, okay? So, of course, you know, you can kind of see where this story's going. Like, I'm this basketball player. I do this, blah, 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 blah. And then, damn, I get hurt. And then I get hurt again, right? And so, all of a sudden, instantaneously, I go from being this guy to this guy. Because I, I literally can't physically play basketball anymore. Like, I have my knee reconstructed twice. I've got three titanium screws the size of my pinky that hold my knee together, right? So, all of a sudden, who I am and what I do, I cannot do anymore. So, I no longer have anything to offer the world. This is, you know, in my head, right? <clears throat> you can go to the, to the next slide. Attachment to illusion, right? To any illusion, becomes nothing more than idolatry or addiction. Right? Think about that for a second. Attachment to illusion, to any illusion. So anything on my list of things that I've been called, 
attachment to those will lead to nothing more than idolatry or addiction. Right? So, my idol was basketball, right? Was getting praise. Right? People, oh, everybody wants praise. And there's nothing wrong with praise. There's nothing wrong with praising each other, encouraging each other. But if that's what defines us, if that's what we long for, if that's where we get our value, that's where it gets really dangerous, right? So, in the world that we live in, this is kind of kind of to paint this picture, this, this dichotomy, okay? So, in the world we live in, people who believe that their worth is dependent upon the appeal of their body on a Saturday night, we call those people prostitutes, right? But people who believe that their worth is dependent upon the appeal of their message on a Sunday morning, we call those people preachers, right? So you've got these two things, these two people groups who are at, in our minds, total opposite ends of the spectrum. But if they're both simply finding their value in something external, in what they have to give or approval that they can get, they are one in the same. Right? Both the prostitute and the preacher are defined by nothing else than God's love. And that's the same for you and for me. Right? So, there's these lies that we can believe. There's also this um, the stumbling block of comparison. Um, I think you can go to the next, next one, Steve. So, our live, Brendan Manning, I've been reading this book by Brendan Manning. Man, this dude is, I don't really read Christian books because they, most of them tend to just kind of frustrate me and annoy me. Um, like, if I wanted a self-help book, I'd go get a self-help book. Right? So, but Brendan Manning, this dude brings it. Okay, so if you ever come across any of his books or are interested, check it out, right? So, he had this quote, Our lives are spent not living, but instead in courting applause and admiration. Not in blissfully being ourselves, but in neurotically comparing and competing and striving for those empty things called success and fame, right? So, I don't know, like reading that quote just goes, it, it goes in direct, uh, just butts heads with the stuff that I feel like I um, was taught growing up, right? Like neurotically comparing, competing, and striving. Like, well, competing and striving, like that's what we're supposed to do, right? Aren't we supposed to compete with, like aren't we in competition for everybody else for a job? Right? Aren't we in competition for, with everybody else in our classroom to see who gets the best grade? Or who's going to be the best on the team? Like who's the starting five? Or who's the best player? Or who gets voted to all state? Or who gets the scholarship? Like I'm in, if I want a basketball scholarship, I'm competing against everybody else that's playing high school basketball right now. Right? Or striving. Like shouldn't we strive to do these things in life and strive to have a home and strive to have a couple cars and strive to have money saved in the bank. Like these are all things that are normal things. 
But if we spend our lives trying to court applause and court admiration from people, and we miss out on the, the middle part, which is my favorite part of the quote, we miss out on just blissfully being ourselves. And we get lost in this illusion. <clears throat> Comparison is an illusion because each of us have a value that is not determined by anybody else. Right? Because like we talked about at the beginning, our value is totally dictated by the fact that God loves us. And that doesn't change. So our value does not change. So this was what I thought of this morning when I woke up and I was like, oh God, what am I doing giving the message today? And then I remembered, oh yeah, it doesn't matter if they like my message or not. Sweet. Like it's so refreshing. Who cares if you guys like what I'm saying or even agree with me at all? Because my value doesn't come from you. Right? Now that's an extreme viewpoint, but it is true. Right? My value does not come from whether after the message you tell me you liked my message or you didn't. Right? My value stays the exact same. Does not change. Cannot change. No matter what I do in life, no matter what mistakes I'm going to make, no matter what mistakes I've made in the past, my value does not change. I'm just as valuable now as a father to a three-month-old girl as I was when I was using drugs and drinking myself into stupidity because I was depressed because I had lost my identity. My value is the same at both times. Right? Because God loves me. And that's what defines me. Even when I don't know it. Even when I don't know that God's love defines me, it still does. Right? It's like the, uh, I forget the, the Bible verse. Uh, this is why it rains on the fields of the, of the righteous and the wicked. Why? Because God's love is that big. It's indiscriminate. Right? <clears throat> So, this idea of comparison. You know, I work with, with high school kids. So I'm around kids a lot. And, you know, I remember being, at, being in high school and, you know, hearing over and over again about peer pressure. And about, you know, don't be worried about what other people say. Don't be worried about if they make fun of your shoes or your haircut. Like, don't be influenced by the wrong crowd. You hear all this stuff as a kid, right? And so I'm thinking as a kid, well, sweet, like when I become an adult, I don't have to deal with that anymore. Like the whole comparison deal, right? I'll become so secure in myself when I get to my 30s that I don't even care, right? Total illusion, right? Total illusion. You actually have it better off when you're a kid. Way better, right? Because I compare myself to people way more as an adult than I ever did as a kid, right? Kid, I think in tennis shoes, like are my shoes cooler than theirs? Maybe haircut. That's about it, right? Those were like my standards of if I'm cooler than this guy, right? Now there's way more stuff than haircuts and shoes, way more stuff. <clears throat> you go to the next quote. You know, talking about comparison, right? So the child spontaneously expresses emotions while the Pharisee carefully represses them. So interesting, interesting dichotomy, right? And I think this kind of gets to why Jesus said, hey, if you want to be a part of this kingdom, you better come as a child. You better come simple-minded, right? Because this, and carefully repressing my emotions, that's like a daily thing. I mean, I, I'm doing it now, 
right? Because I don't want to say the wrong thing, right? I mean, I, I know I'm not the only one who does this. Uh, at least, if I am, then I'm just going to, I'm out. <laughs> okay? So, we carefully repress our emotions because we don't want to, oh, what are they going to think if I say this? Oh, God. Uh, do I tell them I live in an RV down by the river, or do I save that for later? I don't want to scare them away yet. Just met these people, right? So we have all these things in our heads that are like, oh, what do they think about this? What if I do this? What are they going to think? Right? <clears throat> Adults, we are constantly comparing ourselves. And so I'm just going to kind of go through a quick little, little list of how I feel that I see adults comparing themselves. And this is where I get dangerous. This is like one of those things where I'm like, God, do you do this? No, probably. Okay, here we go. So, ladies, I'm going to tell you how you think and compare yourselves. <laughs> Stupid. When I say it out loud, I'm like, this is dumb. That's when I really realized, oh, gone too far. So, ladies, tend to, and this is just from what I hear. So I'm not in your brains, but this is just what I hear, right? So, looks. Right? How do I look compared to other people, other women? Body types. Do I have a boyfriend? Do they have a boyfriend? Are they married? Am I married? Right? Getting a lot of value. Ooh, well, they're not even married yet, so they don't know. But I'm married. Right? Or I have a boyfriend. Or I've been in a relationship this long. Or that long. God, and then you get to kids. And I had no idea. Like, I'm just scratching the surface, but the comparisons that women have with their children is unreal. Right? So, how did you have, did you have them naturally? Did you have a C-section? Are you breastfeeding? Are you bottle feeding? What kind of carrier are you going to have? What kind of car seat? What kind of bassinet? What kind of crib? What kind of playpen? Do you get the organic cotton? Do you get this? Do you get that? Well, I would never give my kid that. Never. I can't believe a mom would do dot, dot, dot. Right? These are just things that I hear. Right? It goes on to... When they get older, do I, do I vaccinate them or not? What kind of diapers do they wear? Disposable or cloth diapers? Or do I stay at home? I'm a stay-at-home mom. Or do I go work and provide for the family? Right? And I've heard more than I ever want to hear about which one's right to do. Okay? Um, do I homeschool them? Public school? Private school? Like, what do we do? I would never send my kid to that school. Right? So these are all things I hear, and it reminds me of two things. One thing that I tell kids at school a thousand times a day because they're all concerned with each other and with what the other person is doing, and I constantly tell them, hey, you do you. Right? You do you. Because you're here not because of them. You're here for you. So you do you. Right? And then the other thing I think of with all this comparison stuff is I think of what Jesus said, which is like, cut to the core. Oh, yeah, sure. Hey, throw the first stone. Go for it. You who are sinless, go for it. Knock them out. Like, wind that sucker up if you feel like you can. Right? And so we compare each other. And men, we are no better. Right? And I've come to realize that as I, as I become, you know, a man, I'm like, i got a family, and uh, I have one major flaw, right? And I think most men have just seriously one major flaw. 
hang on, hang on. The sad thing is that flaw encompasses so much because that flaw is our ego, right? And so my one flaw is my ego, right? Which encompasses like a lot because men, we live by our egos, right? Whether loudly or quietly, we live by our ego. So I'll give you an example. Uh, I had a student come up to me. Man, the kids, when they say stuff, it is like, on point, right? So, she comes up and she's like, Mr. Baker, can I tell you something? Like, yeah, sure, what's up? She goes, I don't mean no offense. You know when you start out the sentence with, I don't mean no offense, like, you're going to get offended, right? So, she says, I don't mean no offense, but, uh, you, you just look kind of rough. Like, you look like you're from a trailer park. <laughs> and I sat with this, and I did not, I just like smiled real big. I didn't even know what to say. Because I had this conflict of like emotions, right? And my initial one was, how dare you? I live in an RV park. <laughs> okay? How dare you? Right? Because we just live in this comparison, right? I mean, I might live in an RV park, but I don't live in a trailer park. Come on. I live in a recreational vehicle, people. Not a single wide. I got a slide out. Okay? So this is, this is seriously the first thing that pops in my brain is like, how dare you? And then I think to myself, this kid is like super attentive because I did like walk out of a park, an RV park this morning school so maybe she knows something i don't know but these egos that we have these these uh these comparisons that we make with each other right and all we want is not to be the last guy right so we just need one thing to get me above that guy right there oh well i'm better than him so i'm not as good as these people but i'm better than him so good to go right uh next slide so gentlemen and not that women don't have egos but uh, they're not nearly as big as ours, right? If we choose to live by the ego, we can count, guaranteed, count on being offended and defensive and insecure for the rest of our lives. Okay? It's a guarantee right there. Um, And then we've got this quote from the Bible. Um, It's for freedom... That Christ has set us free. Right? And so we think of freedom as as liberating ourselves from some kind of oppression, right? There's something above us that's oppressing us. And so we need to be liberated from that. But in my life, the biggest thing I've ever been liberated from and continue daily to be liberated from is myself. My ego. Right? My identity. My illusions that I choose to believe. Now think about these. Uh, I think about when the the Hebrews were in were enslaved in Egypt, right? And so they were enslaved for four hundred years. I didn't know that offhand. I had to look it up. Like I literally looked it up while we were doing worship because I was like, "Dang, I wonder how long they were actually enslaved." Four hundred and thirty years. Okay, so for four hundred thirty years they're slaves. For four hundred and thirty years. 
their value is dependent on what they produce. Because that is uh, pretty much the bare bones definition of being a slave, is that your value is totally and directly dependent on what you produce. So then Moses comes along, sets them free, and then they go roam around in the desert, wandering aimlessly for 40 years. And it got me thinking, you know, I wonder if that 40 years of wandering was God giving them time to kind of readjust their minds and decompress from the fact that, hey, guess what? Your value is not connected to what you produce anymore. So I'm going to let you roam around in the desert aimlessly, producing nothing for 40 years so that you can get it into your head like, hey, we're still good, right? God's still with us, okay? So we've got these two illusions. We've got lies and we've got comparison. And so this is kind of where we start to wrap it up, right? So we know that we believe these lies. We we compare ourselves and we... um, buy into these illusions, and so we don't want to do that, but we also know that that list of things that I had on the board, like those, I don't just throw them out. Like, those things matter still. Right? The fact that I'm a father matters. The fact that I'm a husband matters. The fact that I used to be a drug user matters. Right? So why do they matter? And I've, I've come up with two um, or with one, one main reason why I feel like they matter, right? And it's not because they are us, but it's because they provide us with, the best way I can think of it is, is lenses, right? So they provide us with lenses in which to see and interact with our world, okay? So let me, let me kind of break that down a little bit. Um, these lenses can give us both insights into people, Right, into the world around us. So the fact that, that I know what it feels like to be at the bottom and totally broke and homeless and drunk and ready to smoke a lot of weed so that I don't have to think anymore. The fact that I've been there gives me a lens to where when I see somebody else in that same situation, and I know what that is. Right? I empathize with them. Right? Now, anytime I see somebody who's a father, I can empathize with how it feels to be a father. Because you don't know that feeling until you felt it. People can tell you. Now, I remember Otto telling me, man, get ready, dude. Get ready. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, okay, ready, okay, whatever. And then it happens, and you're like, holy crap. This is amazing. Right? And so... These lenses, these different experiences, both the positive and the negative, give us ways in which we can relate to people. Right? Because this stuff, the, this, and these notes, and Brendan Manning's book, and these quotes, like, aren't worth a hill of beans if I can't use them to interact with people, right? So, these lenses allow us to see the world differently, to empathize with people. There's a big difference. We do this at, at school. We have these um, social and emotional learning classes, right? And so there's a huge difference between sympathy 
and empathy, right? Empathy is being able to relate to how you feel, knowing I know what that feels like. Sympathy is, I feel sorry for you, right? And there can be a place for both, but in my experience, a lot of people in the world don't want your sympathy or my sympathy, right? They want somebody to empathize with them. They want somebody to get down and get dirty and know, I know what you're going through. I know how this feels right now. <clears throat> the other thing that, that these, uh, this list of identities or list of things that we, that we do, the other way I feel like they can really be of value is that they give us insights into the kingdom. Right, they give us insights into what God is trying to establish, what God's trying to do through us. And so I'll give you, I'll give you an example of that. Um, like five, five years ago, uh, Laura and I through hiked the Appalachian Trail. Right, so it's 2,200 miles. Goes from Georgia to Maine. We walked this thing with only what we could carry on our backs. Right, so I could very easily grasp onto that. The fact that I did that, the fact that I'm a through hiker, I got my little patch, you know, whatever. I could easily grasp onto that and, man, hold onto that with everything I got. I'm, I'm a through hiker. I've hiked from Georgia to Maine. In your face. Right? Makes me feel better about myself. Okay? Um, we have this, uh, in rafting, we have, you know, raft guides are very boisterous uh, personalities. It's a nice way to put it. Um, we call them me monsters, though. A me monster, right? It's somebody who can't stop talking about themselves, right? This me monster. So I could easily me monster about through hiking the Appalachian Trail all day, right? And I could claim that as my identity. I'm a through hiker. That's me. It's what everybody knows me for, right? But on the other hand, that you know that would be that would be embracing that illusion. On the other hand, that doing that had immense value, right? Every single day, things I do during the day, I do because of insights that I had through that experience, right? So when you're backpacking, um, backpacking stands in direct contrast to uh, regular everyday life, okay? Because in regular everyday life, the more stuff you have, the more comfortable you are, right? The more things we, we attain, ah, the more comfortable we make ourselves and we're we're good, right? So in backpacking, it's the exact opposite. The less you have, you want way less. The way less you have, the less weight you're carrying, which means your experience is way more enjoyable. Right? And so you're constantly trying to figure out, well, what can I get rid of? Like, what do I not need? What is weighing me down? What is just extra baggage that's not serving a purpose? That's just weighing me down, right? And so that mindset, over a span of you know, four and a half months, 2,000 miles, that mindset gets ingrained into me and into Laura, and then we start thinking, wow, this is, this is kingdom. Like, this, is what, this is what God's telling us to do. Like, we don't need a lot of stuff. Like, let's simplify things so that we can experience more, right? And so then now we live in an RV park, not a trailer park, RV park. <clears throat> Live in the wisdom of accepted tenderness. Okay? Um, if you've heard nothing else or remember nothing else, um, 
It's just that. God loves us, and that's what defines us. Nothing else. Our value exists in nobody else, um, through nobody else, no matter what anybody else says. Okay? Uh, I'm going to ask Otto to close us. Thank you guys for listening. Um, as Otto is closing us, if... Uh, Cindy, if you and George maybe come up, and Steve, if you would want to come up, and if you guys, if anybody needs prayer, if this struck a chord with anybody, um, then yeah, they'll be available for that. Otherwise, enjoy your uh, rainy Sunday afternoon.